Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a founding member, a drummer of the band that Bruce Springsteen credits as saving his ass on many occasions when he was starting out playing bars in New Jersey. He made that comment while inducting that band into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Clearwater Revival's music is still a staple of U.S. radio airplay. The band has sold over 26 million albums in the United States alone. Rolling Stone ranked them as one of the 100 greatest artists of all time. Aside from his work with CCR, he also produced Grover's Paradise for former Sir Douglas Quintet and Texas Tornadoes frontman Doug Sham. Clifford continued to perform and record with Doug Sham through the 1980s, then a founding, um, then Following a relatively long period of musical inactivity, he and former CCR member Stu Cook formed Credence Clearwater Revisited in 1995. 23 years later, he's still on the road. They will be here on Long Island at the Paramount on July 25th. It is a pleasure to welcome one of rock and roll's greatest drummers, Doug Clifton Clifford, to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Doug. Welcome, guys. Hey. Welcome, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. You know... The role of a drummer has evolved so much over the years. Gene Krupa's solo on Sing 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 may be the line of demarcation, but Keith Moon, Ringo Starr, Neil Peart, Phil Collins, Max Weinberg, and yourself continue to make drummers huge parts of the band. Who was the drummer you looked up to as a kid, and why, of all the instruments, did you want to be a drummer? Well, uh, one guy, and you just mentioned it, it was Gene Krupa. Uh, I saw him play a, a solo walking literally in an outfield, uh, baseball outfield, with drum sets all around, and they never showed the band. They just showed him in his white sport coat with his black, greasy, hairy movie star looks, and he just came out and started playing cymbal stands, playing around the drums, and then when the chorus hit, the big, the big boom, he sits down and hits that, that bass drum, and, oh, man, I... I it changed my life. Wow, that, that's pretty impressive. I mean, Gene Crew. I mean, Sing 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 is one of my favorites for sure. So I can oh, only yeah. imagine, you know, someone that knows more musically watches that can only, you know, I can only imagine what goes through your head. Before we get to revisited, let's talk about the original revival. You you met John Fogarty and Stu Cook at uh, at your junior high school in California. You guys would be in two bands together that would eventually become CCR. Tell us a little bit about the early days as the Blue Velvets and, and the Gollywogs. Well, uh, yeah, the, the Blue Velvets was uh, John, Stu, and myself. It was an instrumental trio. And uh, later on, Tom Fogarty came to us and asked if we would back him up uh, in a recording studio uh, because he wanted to cut some demos and go to L.A. and get a record deal. Uh, he had a band and a good one. And uh, they're, I guess, prototypical musicians. Uh, when he presented it to them, they, they, they turned it down because... They weren't getting paid, even though it was going to be an investment Tom was making for their future, and there weren't any chicks there. So they said they'd rather work on their cars. Thank God for that. So that's how it started. And we were, you know, we started the band, the, the, the Blue Velvets, uh, we were 13 years of age. And uh, uh, once we started enjoying, you know, the, the fruits of getting better and 
and uh, playing little gigs. And we were making pretty good money for, you know, kids 13, 14 years old, 15, and uh, cash, you know, $20 each. That's uh, A loaf of bread was, you know, 20 cents. So it was good money. That's how it started, and uh, Tom took us to the next level, and and then we became the Gollywog somewhere in that period. That was not our choice of names. The uh, head of the record company and a beatnik, he was a beatnik. It was a jazz label. And uh, he said, you have to have a gimmick. And man, oh man, did we have a gimmick. The most outrageous uh, outfits that he put us in. I mean, after gigs, my neck would be sore for weeks I, I, because I played with my head down. Uh, I didn't want anyone to see it. <laughs> it was me back there flailing around in this ridiculous outfit. Yeah, 1966, your musical careers hit a bit of a speed bump as you and John Fogarty received draft notices. You choose to enlist in the military. John joined the Army Reserve. You joined the Coast Guard Reserve. But 1967 changes everything when Saul Zantz gets involved. Uh, one of the biggest changes, obviously, was the name to the group. How did you guys come up with Credence Clearwater Revival? Well, we had a you know a, a yellow uh, legal pad full of names and. Uh, Tom had a friend uh, at work um, by the name of Credence Newball, and of course, Credence means honesty and and you know taking care of business and uh, n- not doing anything that that you, you wouldn't really uh, you know put your heart and soul into, and uh, that's what we always did with our music. So we had that part of it, and then Clearwater was a, a, a an Olympia beer commercial. Cool, clear water. I can see it now. It had a, a, a cool image. But I was also into entomology, the studying uh, of uh, insects, primarily uh, colony insects, ants, wasps, bees, and termites. And there's some pretty in- amazing stuff uh, that these animals do. And so I, I, I passed the uh, ecology thing on to, to the band before it became a, you know, a, 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 a more publicized and taking care of the planet and that sort of thing. So we had that. And revival was a revival of ourselves. No more funny names, no more goofy outfits. We're going to just focus on the music and, and see what happens. And that's what we did. You know, I know that the Beatles appearing on Ed Sullivan had a major major influence on you, and I know that CCR had an interesting appearance on the Ed Sullivan show as well. So tell us a little bit about, first off, you know, if the Beatles were one of your inspirations from that show, you getting to play on that show, what that meant to you, and the unique experience, and what happened with Ed when you guys appeared. Well, the, the Beatles really were a shot in the arm for us. Uh, we were at that point where Stewie and I were in college and uh, together and uh, uh, not living in town, uh, not that far away, but, but far away. Uh, you couldn't just walk over and, and, uh, and rehearse. And, so, and things hadn't really uh, taken off for, for the band. So there was talk or maybe a feeling of that maybe we'll, we'll, we'll pack it in and and uh, when we saw the Beatles playing American-style rock and roll with the same uh, uh, lineup that we have, bass, uh, rhythm, uh, lead guitar, and drums, it, just, it, it, it was incredible. We said, if these guys can do it, we can do it. We need to stick together. And, and that was a big, big uh, shot in the arm for us. The Ed Sullivan Show was the biggest show, television show in the world. 
30 million people watched it, and he did a lot for rock and roll music. He had a lot, and it was when rock and roll was taboo, uh, scary, uh, wasn't allowed in the music room where I met John Fogarty. Uh, Mrs. Stark wasn't there when he was pounding some Little Richard and Fats Domino piano songs. And uh, so to be able to, you know, be on that show, you really made it. My grandma watched, you know. <laughs> so uh, Ed had funny mannerisms, and, and he was kind of awkward and goofy. And uh, I, I found out why, because he, he was a very shy man, and to get up in front of 30 million people and do his show, he would have between 15 and 18 anisets, as the rumor uh, went around uh, the studio. And he was pie-eyed. Uh, <laughs> he would get, get whacked. And uh, so we, we, we were, uh, they, they, they told us uh, that if he liked this dress rehearsal, he would call us over. Well, we were in the headliner spot. We sort of figured that out, and but we 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 never goofed around, and uh, we always worked hard. Some of the other bands weren't quite as uh, uh, well organized, shall we say? And uh, so he he calls us over and he, he asks us our, our names, and they have cue cards, and they write questions on each one of the cue cards with the guy's name above it. And so they made us, they had a little set for us that was supposed to be on a dock in some swamp somewhere. And so everybody broke for lunch, and they made us stay for an hour and walk, get off of this set, walk over to where Ed would be standing, and we would line up in, in perfect order for the, for the questions on the cue cards. So we did it. We had it after the the first time we did it, but we said nothing until they, they told us we, we could break for lunch. And when it was showtime, Ed, had, Ed was buzzing big time. <laughs> he couldn't even say Creedence Clearwater Revival. He said, Creedence He couldn't do it. He was spinning around like he does. And so as we come over, he's really excited, and he reaches over and grabs me around my neck and pulls Stewie up with the other arm hug, and, and a sort of hug against both. Well, we're out of order now. He's taking, he's taking us out of order. And so he's calling me John and Tom, Stu, and, and our, our job is done. You know, the pressure's off. Uh, you know, lives on, on television with 30 million people watching, including my grandma. And uh, so I, I knew that if I looked at the guys, I, I would lose it, and I would be on the floor laughing, and I didn't want to do that. So I, 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 I kept myself looking forward, and I could feel the other guys doing the same thing. We couldn't look at each other. And uh, so we ran up uh, to our dressing room that was on the fifth floor, hit the door, flew in, laid on the floor, and laughed for 20 minutes. <laughs> then we went out and got pie-eyed. <laughs> You know, your music was so different than any other music coming out of the Bay Area, let alone, forget about the Bay Area, anywhere else. What, what was your guys' major influence when you guys were writing songs? Where, where did that sound come from? Well, the sound came from the, the music of the South, and that's, you know, really where rock and roll was born. Jazz is an American music type as well, you know, and, uh, and the blues, and and the combination of, of the blues and, and country blues uh, is what rock and roll basically is and where it came from. The Sun Records group, you know, Elvis, Carl Perkins, uh, 
that that genre. Uh, you know, we were in the Bay Area when it was psychedelia, you know, and that wasn't us. And, and uh, you know, we weren't going to do it just because it was popular. We were going to do what we wanted to do and try and, and, and master it as, as best we could and make it as good as we could possibly make it. And that required a lot of discipline and, uh, and, and trimming things back. We found out that less was best in a lot of, a lot of cases. You know, where uh, the jam bands would, would just go nuts and put as, as many notes in as they could. Well, that's cool. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not being judgmental. That's what they did, and we did what we did. So uh, that's, that's what we did. We, we stuck with uh, the roots of American uh, uh, music, rock and roll, is uh, what we, we, we did. You get to play Woodstock, and I have to imagine sitting there as a drummer, you know, seeing that crowd in front of you had to be awe-inspiring at that time. What was it like looking out on that crowd? Well, uh, when we looked out on that crowd, you couldn't see them because we didn't get on until like one or two in the morning, <laughs> and there were no lights uh, because, except a few on the stage, because of the rain. You know, it rained like mad. Though when we first got there, the sun was just sort of setting, and the the, the massive. Uh, crowd uh, looked like a patchwork or a quilt of humanity. I mean, it was un, unbelievable. We didn't believe uh, the rumors that were going around until we saw it. We were in a two-man helicopter flying with three men, and uh, I had the, uh, the dubious uh, shot of sitting with my right leg out on the skid of the helicopter, holding the door up against my leg so it wouldn't flap in the wind. And then my left hand had a hold of John Fogarty's seatbelt. And uh, the helicopter came up uh, slowly over the, over the hillside there. And when we, when we saw that, that mass of, of, of people, we, we knew there was at least 400,000 people there. Amazing. You know, the band's breakup has been well documented. You know, and, you know, if you read everything you can, it's doubtful anything could have been done to stop that. But if you had a time machine and could go back to any point in time of the band's existence, do you think there would have been anything that you could have done that would have changed the course of history that Credence, you know, Clearwater Revival would still be together today? Well, what we needed was a, a manager. Uh, you know, John is a brilliant talent. Uh, you got to, you know, he was one of the best songwriters, American songwriters of, of all time. Uh, but we we were the best supporting cast that he could have because we jammed daily when we weren't were working on material. Songs came out of those jams, and uh, you know, he would bring songs in and. And uh, we always worked, you know, we, we kept, it, kept it together. But he thought that because he, he could do all these, these wonderful musical things, uh, that he could be a man manager of our business uh, affairs. Big mistake. And he wouldn't give that one up. And uh, it's, it's too bad. And I think somewhere at one point he, he realized it. But, he, you know, he, he uh, doesn't talk about it much. And... Uh, if we would have had someone to, de to deal with the record company and to deal with the, the brothers, Tom and John had, had uh, problems because Tom is the one that put us together in the first place and, and, and stuck with us. 
uh, when he could have had other guys uh, in the recording studio. And he was the singer and gave all that up to his brother, but not thinking that he would never be able to sing another song with the band. And that was the case. So we needed somebody that could could come in and, uh, you know, a a top professional that can deal with with bands and and people and and, uh, certainly with business and let John just be uh, an artist. And I think if that would have happened, we might still be together. But that's not what happened. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate. But the the one thing that there is about it is that we have millions of fans we have three generations of fans now. Uh, it continues to grow. Our music has touched, uh, in a positive way, millions of people all over the world. And uh, the legacy uh, is of the, uh, the, the music is, is what survived and, and, and is the, re- the reason why we got involved in the first place. We wanted to make records that would be played on the radio. So, you know, uh, yeah, I look at... Look at the bright, uh, the bright side of it, you know. Gosh, I mean, how many bands can go out and look out and see two generations of people partying together and and singing the, the same music? It's it, it's a, a quite a feat. Absolutely, and you guys worked together, you and Stu, to clear a lot of hurdles to, to get this back on the road, clear to, Credence Clearwater Revisited, and like I said, 23 years. For fans here on Long Island who may have continued to go out and see John Fogarty in tour and may not have ever taken in a revisited tour, what can they expect if they go out to the Paramount this, this month to see your show? Well, lots of, lots of energy, uh, uh, lots of hits. Uh, and and uh, you know the, the the rhythm section is the feel of the music. Uh, they'll be feeling a lot of a lot of creams, uh when they come to our show. That's for darn sure. I'll be out there for sure. Uh, two quick questions: toughest CCR song to play drums on? Uh, well, it's probably Grapevine because it's twenty-five minutes long, or you know, mm-hmm. just a long song. So you know, and then there's many. That's kind of the pre-song where we kind of jam a little bit. And so uh, things will come to mind uh, that uh, all of a sudden I'll, I'll, I'll do a fill or something that I hadn't done before. And uh, it, 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 it's, it's, it's fun. Uh, uh, but it's, you know, you you, you got to stay in there. And I'm in, I'm in shape. I've always been in shape. And uh, uh, so I, I look forward to it. I, I, it's one of my favorite songs. Awesome. All right, Doug, we appreciate your time tonight. More importantly, thanks for uh, the soundtrack of AJ and my youth. We love it. Uh, looking forward to seeing you at the Paramount. AJ, Mark, been a pleasure. Uh, we'll uh, be looking forward to seeing you boys when we come to town. You got it. Doug Clifford, founding member of Clear, Credence Clearwater Revival, as well as Credence Clearwater Revisited.